0: Welcome to AMDG, I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. My guest today is Senator Bob Casey, who has been representing the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania since 2007. In addition to being a dedicated public servant, Senator Casey has major Jesuit cred. He graduated from a Jesuit high school, Scranton Prep, class of 1978. He graduated from a Jesuit college, the College of the Holy Cross in 1982. Then, he spent a year with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, teaching and coaching basketball at the Jesu School in Philadelphia. In an era when politicians are some of the least popular folks around, I've always been impressed with Senator Casey's leadership, even though I'm a Jersey guy and our rivalry with Pennsylvania is well documented. Senator Casey is bright, thoughtful, and down-to-earth. And even more importantly, he's also been a strong advocate on behalf of those who are most vulnerable at every stage of life. I asked Senator Casey about his Jesuit education and how it prepared him for a career in public service. We also talked about the COVID-19 pandemic and what roles he thinks the federal government should be playing in our response to this difficult time. And stick around until the end when I ask him to weigh in on one of Pennsylvania's biggest culinary debates It has to do with various forms of breakfast meat. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to AMDG wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends about us, especially residents of the Keystone State. Well, Senator Bob Casey, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, first off, uh, how are you? How are you doing in these these challenging times?
1: Well, I'm doing well, and I'm I'm uh, obviously one of the fortunate ones that uh, that is employed and can work uh, from from home from a distance, um, and um, is is healthy. So I'm I've, I've been blessed, but a lot of other Americans, tens and tens and tens of millions, that are suffering either suffering from covid-19 the disease or in some cases suffering and, and dying and, and others who may not be suffering from the disease but are suffering from uh, the economic uh, calamity that's um, been flowing in the wake of the in the wake of the virus so
0: i'm pretty fortunate sure and, uh, yeah, I do, uh, do hope to ask you a little bit about that later on. But I first wanted to start by talking some about your, your own background. I invited you uh, onto the show uh, to talk a little bit about the federal government's response, uh, because you have some really strong Jesuit cred. Uh, you're an alum of Scranton Prep and the College of the Holy Cross. Participated in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. I'll skip over your law school alma mater. <laughs> uh, so, looking back at your um, your Jesuit education, I'm just wondering, like, how it shaped you and led you to a career in public service.
1: Well, there's no question that um, my Jesuit education in in high school and college not only affected me over the course of my lifetime, but affected uh, the decisions I made right after. Right before I left college to join the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, the the whole um, focus that the Jesuits have always placed on uh, being part of the world and uh, trying to make the world a better place, and um, AMDG, the for the greater glory of God, of course, is part of that. But I think probably the most enduring lesson I learned for or learned from the Jesuits is, um, it's connected to service, but it's, it's um, uh, simply stated that we're people for others. Um, in the the old days, when it was, um, Jesuit high schools had only, um, you know, young men and, uh, attending, or young, young boys who became men. Uh, it was men for others, then it became, uh, they, then it became much broader, of course. Um, I just happened to be at the high school that had the the first um, uh, first class of, of uh, women, way back in the 1970s, early 70s, my sister happened to be in that first class. I was uh, I came along a little later, <clears throat> excuse me, a few years later, and uh, the just the whole idea of serving others was was such a part of the work of the Jesuits, and <clears throat> it ultimately. Uh, had an impact on on what I chose to do after uh, uh, after practicing law for for about six years I was elected to public office and I've I've held state and federal office ever since and uh, the, the, the impact of the Jesuits uh, was part of my life then as a, as a young elected official but but uh, throughout my time as a, as a public official my my work in the Senate I hope reflects, um, those, those values every day. Uh, but I was really fortunate to have, have been the beneficiary of a Jesuit education in both high school and college.
0: I'm sure you've met uh, John Carr, who used to work at the bishops' conference in their social justice office and now is at Georgetown, and I've heard him say that one of the most countercultural teachings of the Catholic Church that Jesuits would uh, obviously ascribe to as well is that politics is a good thing. Politics can be a good thing, uh, despite the kind of bad reputation in, in some ways that politics has today, uh, because again, it's a way of you know promoting the common good, of, of working t- for social justice, of making systemic change. Um, do you, do you again feel that that connection that that hey like actually by living out politics we have again a chance to make a, a really positive difference in the world?
1: I don't think there's any question that um, public service can uh, can be not just consistent with uh, the, the the values of um, and the the the, uh, the the social mission of our of our faith, but um, can be consistent with values that the, the Jesuits have espoused for, um, for uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years in, in the United States. So, yes, I, I agree with, with him. I, I think the, 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 the process sometimes of getting there campaigns are particularly brutal and um, are, are not, frankly, are, campaigns today are not conducive to um, the kind of dialogue you hope would precede an election. Um, and that's, that's frustrating because campaigns are usually about raising a lot of money and then engaging in a, in a knockdown, drag them out fight, mm-hmm. uh, and see who's standing at the end. And that's, so our, our elections, um, often are not about, uh, uh, engaging with and communicating with the voters as much as it is, um, a slugfest. And that's mm-hmm. unfortunate. I'm not, there are a lot of ways to change that. They're not likely to happen anytime soon. But, but if you're blessed enough to win an election, once you get there, um, you can uh, you you can do work that's I think uh, consistent with those values of of being a person for others, the values of helping the vulnerable and and standing up for those who who don't have a voice.
0: Sure. How do you approach that to approach campaigning as someone who you know? prides yourself in being a person for others. Is there any way you spiritually or mentally kind of prepare for that or go into that?
1: Well, <laughs> unfortunately that it becomes, um, th- there's a brutality to elections. Um, and, um, I would not advise anyone to get into an election if you're not in it to win. Um, and that becomes, unfortunately, because there are sharp edges to this, that becomes yeah. the overriding, uh, concern. And um, I've been in a lot of really tough elections and I've taken a lot of punches and, and thrown a lot of punches. Um, but this isn't, uh, unfortunately, politics today isn't the, the Lincoln-Douglas Douglas debates where you stand on a stage and engage in long, substantive uh, debate and dialogue about issues. Um, it's, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a brutally difficult process and you have to be willing to go through that if you want to serve. And so I, it's that old line: keep your eye on the prize. The prize is having the opportunity to serve in public office. The the honor and the, the privilege that that is. Um, but you have to go through the 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 heat of an election to get there. And that's um, so I, I hate, hate to say it this bluntly, but I when I'm in an election, I'm I'm focused on winning the election. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I do want to turn to, again, the, these uh, co- a collection of issues uh, that have really kind of obviously taken over uh, political discourse and our lives uh, right now all around the world. Uh, with you, again, in public service with a unique perspective on uh, how we should be approaching uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So just from your perspective, what have been your kind of top priorities driving you uh, as you've been engaging with this issue?
1: I think the responsibility I have as a public official—I think this would would be true of any public official at any level—is to do all that I can to put into place uh, new policy or new appropriations that will help people get through the 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 double challenge, the double crisis. Really, the two crises we face: the the crisis number one is the public health challenge, and number two, which flows right in the wake of it is the, the economic challenge, the, the, the devastating economic consequences that uh, have resulted from uh, our efforts to, to wrestle with uh, the virus. And so that, that's my job. And I think the, the, the folks who, who often need the loudest voices are the ones who are the most vulnerable. Uh, older citizens across the the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and across the country, uh, people with disabilities, those who are who are uh, at a particular disadvantage because they happen to be low income, they they are often the ones who are most adversely affected in a crisis like this because they are they are often more likely to die, in many cases more likely to get uh, to to uh, contract the virus and and get the COVID-19 disease, uh, because they are often uh, the ones who are on the front lines. They're often the ones who are working. And they happen to live in neighborhoods that are often more polluted than the neighborhood I live in. Mm -hmm. They happen to be folks whose access to healthcare is most limited or compromised generally, and that becomes a huge problem uh, in a public health uh, crisis that this pandemic is. So standing up for those um, those who are particularly vulnerable, fighting for um, health care programs like Medicaid, which becomes even more important in this kind of a crisis, fighting for greater uh, food assistance dollars uh, becomes vitally important. So th- those are my my job is to make sure that uh, we're helping folks through both the public health crisis and the economic crisis. Um, devastation that that we're seeing, just seeing the beginnings of now, people out of work and people losing a small business, Uh, people having to go on unemployment insurance or be reliant upon a food bank or a food pantry like never before. Uh, The families who are juggling at home, some working from home and and trying to educate their children, Um, others leaving the home every day because they're frontline workers and having to be concerned about the child care that their children Uh, are receiving or not the education that their children should be receiving or not. Um, So all of those um, family dynamics, we've got to make sure that we're answerable to them and responsive to them in this crisis.
0: Yeah, I think something that the Jesuits have been lifting up uh, in their advocacy is those who are already most vulnerable, as you said, those, again, who are kind of already on the margin suffering from the great inequalities in this country are most likely to be uh, adversely affected. And we, we've seen that in so many ways, as you described. So what, what are some of the, you think, the the policies, the, the things that the federal government can do that you're really kind of pushing for, like in the Senate? Like what can what are some of those policies or things that like we should really be putting front and center right now?
1: Well, some of them come down to just uh, acronyms that, that people may have heard uh, that, that, that uh, the acronym stands for a program which helps a lot of people and either needs um, a policy adjustment or it needs a, a lot of money. Uh, SNAP, WIC, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, um, which is so, um, so crucial at this time. We need more dollars in that program. Um, the the Women, Infants, and Children's program needs more dollars. Um, issues like um, uh, Medicaid, as I mentioned before, um, so many it's strange. It's strange that sometimes in Washington there's a there's such rancor and partisan discord, but all across the country, governors of both parties. Who are in the trenches every day, dealing with this crisis at home, and having to deal with with the the uh, public safety issues, the public health issues, and the economic challenges? They're telling us over and over again, we need more uh, money for uh, Medicaid money, and that usually means federal matching money, uh, so-called FMAP. That's another acronym. But those matching dollars from the federal government are vital now. And the governors of both parties are telling us that we got to do that. And the House bill that was unveiled just the other day has the kind of percentage increase of those matching dollars that the governors of both parties have been asking for. We ought to, we ought to enact what the House has proposed. We ought to, do, we ought to add the money to the, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The House has suggested money for transit and block grants for communities, homeless assistance, uh, emergency rental assistance just consider that people who are struggling with their their bottom line can't make ends they can't even afford food and they have a a rent payment on top of that there has to be an answer for those those people the house bill proposes emergency rental assistance of 100 billion dollars that sounds like a lot of money but spread across the country it's it's what the house has proposed The Senate should embrace that as well. The Senate should help state governments and local governments to the tune of not a few hundred billion, but but, uh, like the House proposes, a combined total of $875 billion. I know some people hear those numbers and they say, oh my goodness, how how can we do all this? Well, we have to do it because we've got two crises that are crashing uh, onto the uh, front steps of so many families, and that's the public health crisis, COVID-19, but also job loss and and, uh, small businesses being devastated. So all of these priorities need investment and they need emergency assistance.
0: From your time with the Jesuits, you might remember talk of discernment, right? This tradition of trying to make really difficult decisions. And I'm thinking about those dual crises, uh, and there's been all these debates now, like how do we reopen the country? How do we do that safely? Uh, and there doesn't seem to be any clear answer. So, what for you, if you're say meeting with uh, a fellow Holy Cross alum, Dr. Anthony Fauci? What are some of the questions you have for some of these experts in epidemiology? And what are like the questions you're bringing? You think we should really be asking uh, those who are tasked? with making big decisions?
1: Well, the one thing that Jesuits, uh, um, among many things they taught me, a, a couple of good lessons. One is the lesson of humility, uh, understanding what you don't know, and, and uh, uh, also the, the lesson of a commitment to uh, excellence, academic excellence, uh, ex- excellence in, in your, how you conduct yourself. And I think there's some people in Washington, starting with the president, who need to exercise or demonstrate those lessons. The lesson of humility, knowing what you don't know. The president or any member of Congress, even even some members that call themselves doctors, uh, none of them that I know of, uh, 535 members of Congress, none of them are public health experts. So they should be be humble in knowing or or admitting what they don't know. And they should have a, a heavy reliance upon the expertise, which is right at our fingertips every day, um, I've often said that maybe a good hashtag would be uh, "Listen to Fauci," and, and I don't mean just Dr. Fauci, the Holy Cross graduate that we're in person. We're so proud of all these years, and maybe ever more so now. But Fauci, as a, as a as a uh, a name or an acronym for for so many public health professionals across the country, there are hundreds and hundreds of these people. Who all agree that you have to open up the economy a certain way? You have to you have to make sure you have all the public health distance guidelines and wearing masks and and making sure you don't have too many customers in your store. All of those things uh, that just just um, just are, are self-evident if you listen to the public health experts. But if you listen to some of the hot air in Washington, it's just open up anytime you want, do you know, liberate your community and all that. That is, that is a, uh, a piece of advice that is very dangerous when you have a, a virus, which is ravaging the country. And the, the, one of the best things that uh, the public health professionals have said is the virus is in charge. The virus is, it sets the timetable. We don't, we are totally reactive to the virus and we have to be, until there's a vaccine or until there's widespread herd immunity. But in the meantime, we should listen to Dr. Tony Fauci and others. And I had a chance at a hearing on Tuesday to to shoehorn in at the very last minute of my question period and a question to him. And I just wanted him to restate or amplify the concerns that he, he raised in an answer to an earlier question. And he outlined why we have to be, be careful how we open up. It's not a question of whether we're going to open up. We're going to open up, but we've got to do it the right way. The, the the one that's grounded in public health imperatives, not not voluntary guidelines, but imperatives to keep people safe and to make sure that we can move the economy forward. We can do both. And uh, those who seek to divide us on this these questions, you have to choose public health over the economy. Are lying to people. First of all, they're telling lies, but they're also engaging in rhetoric and in poor communication that is dangerous to human life. And so, instead of keeping the death number, um, you know, at a at the numbers it seems like it'll it will reach, we should be working every day to get get the death numbers down. And the best way to do that is listen to the public health ex- experts.
0: Well, I wanted to, to thank you for your continuing public service. And before I, I let you go, I had two very quick questions for you. One: uh, Are there any specific Jesuits from your your time, your life, who you would think of uh, think of fondly as being kind of a role models for you uh, in your your life?
1: Oh gosh, that's a hard one. I'm afraid if I do that, I'll leave out both
0: like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> some great Jesuits at Scranton Prep and, and Holy Cross. I won't I won't do them by name, but I'll tell you, I learned an awful lot. Um, not only about what we talked about already, about public service and service itself, um, but also about my faith and what what my what my obligations are, and uh, and I and I think the the, uh, the 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 difficulty we all have in understanding the both the humanity of Jesus and the, the and the uh, and the, uh, the the sacred divinity that that he that he is. Um, they they opened my my eyes to that about how we can understand Jesus in in both um, in both ways and uh, the, you know that we we're supposed to be able to recognize him in the breaking of the bread and that um, those lessons uh, will stay with me until my last breath and I'm I was fortunate to have that that opportunity in both high school and college.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate your sharing that reflection. And the last one, very important question. Um, Pork roll or scrapple?
1: (laughs) You're really trying to get me in trouble politically. I
0: know, I know, I know. I'm sorry.
1: the cuisine the, the cuisine of Pennsylvania is broad and diverse, and I love all of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great that's a great politician's answer. I'm from uh I'm from Jersey, so pork roll is my answer. Um, but again, Senator Casey, oh, thank you right, so much. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, well, thank you so much for again taking the time and for your your service uh, and uh, just know of our our prayers for you and your work and your your staff's work as you continue again trying to to serve the country uh, in this in this difficult time.
1: Mike, thank you and our prayers to you and your family and and the whole Jesuit uh, community across the country. We, We pray for everyone.
0: AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan-Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at we Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.